the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, kind sir. Pleasant good afternoon to you and you and you and you. No, actually, I'm just talking to you, right? (laughs) Good to have you with us. It is a Wednesday. It is the 25th day of July, and uh, weather-wise, been kind of a warm one, right? Supposedly going to peak tomorrow and then uh, start a cooling trend heading into the rest of the week, which will certainly be some good news, particularly for all the fires. You heard that Yosemite is closed down as of noon today for the next several days so they can create a bit of a fire break around the park. Be praying for all those men and women that are fighting on those lines. It's a it's a tough Ugly job and a very dangerous one at that. And they do much to protect California forestry and homes and private property. So uh, as you're thinking today about the fires taking place uh, both south and north of us, uh, be in prayer for everybody on the front line and especially for those that have lost homes and things. It's it's uh, certainly tragic. California's been through two back-to-back really ugly fire seasons, and uh, it's it's quite something else. All right, speaking of prayer, before we meet our first guest tonight, I want to remind you that the um, concentrated outreach effort to the city of San Francisco, the 39th annual SOS San Francisco Outreach, gets underway starting today, and it'll be going on through the 28th. And, of course, events taking place in and around the city of San Francisco. Uh, They are at Fisherman's Wharf right now uh, as we speak. And then uh, tomorrow they'll be doing ministry at First and Market Street. And then on Friday at Fifth and Market. And then moving there later on in the afternoon to Haight and Masonic there in the Haight-Ashbury district. And then Saturday, the big day, will be a ministry taking place from noon until 5 p.m. at UN Plaza. That's located at 7th and Market in the city. And, of course, an opportunity not only to uh, reach residents of San Francisco, folks that come in, commute for work and business, and then, of course, the uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of tourists that make their way to the city every year. They still do that, don't they, even with all the big mess going on in that city? Boy, Mayor Breed has got her hands full, doesn't she? Anyway, be in prayer, if you would, for this special annual outreach. And uh, great job always done by SOS Ministries. Details, by the way, on the web, if you want to come out, still time to volunteer and uh, be a part of it by going to SOS Min, M-I-N, abbreviation for ministry. That's SOSmin.com. Okay, let's talk a bit about California State Legislature. They are at present on recess. They'll be back at midpoint in August. They get 30 days off during the summer at taxpayer expense. When they come back, a whole bunch of bills that were put on pause from the last legislative session will be under consideration. And we're going to spend a little time here in the next few moments talking about some of those bills and why you need to let your voice be heard in Sacramento, not only to Governor Brown's office in the event any of this 
legislature uh, legislative bills would pass, but in addition, hoping to circumvent that from going that far, uh, to be in contact with your member of the California State Senate or Assembly to give them a heads up that you are not in favor of whatever it is they are trying to propose. One of the bills under consideration is called the California Healthy Youth Act, or AB 329, AB 329. Once again, seeming to supplant the responsibilities of parents to train up a child and rather put that into the hands of the state. Marlo Tucker joins us now. Marlo, of course, is director of the California chapter of Concerned Women for America. And, and Marlo, I've read some of the language inside of AB 329 that I understand in its quote-unquote comprehensive sexual health education is targeting children as young as 12 years old. Tell us what's going on and why this bill, in your opinion, is so particularly dangerous. Thank you, Craig. Um, This bill, AB 329, uh, has new requirements for the sexual education curriculum in all schools across California. And parents need to be concerned and um, involved in what is being taught. The districts um, have the discretion of implementing this law however uh, they choose. And some are choosing too much soon and unfortunately Planned Parenthood is behind pushing a lot of curriculum on these districts. Yeah, I had I had so, to say to myself when I read some of the language here that they're creating this adolescent sexual health work group. The state just loves acronyms, doesn't it? Uh, An organized, collaborative, governmental, and non-governmental organization designed to promote and protect the sexual and reproductive health of youth in California. And of course, when I read the NGO, the non-governmental organization part, my immediate thought was Planned Parenthood has to be lurking in the shadows behind this. Yes, correct. And so they think it's a healthy attitude they're trying to promote respect and responsibility, and unfortunately, parents have no clue that there is an agenda behind this that is pushing disturbing graphic sexual education on our children, and um, parents should get involved because they can uh, go to their district and let them know that there are other ways besides this agenda of too much too soon. And um, they can also uh, opt out. They have the right to opt out of this of their curriculum if they have any questions. Well, and it would seem to me, Marlo, in 2018 that there are probably few parents that still stick to the notion that if we teach our kids the children or babies rather come from uh, cabbage patches or the stork delivers them, that that's a quaint way of explaining uh, the, the reproductive process. I think in 2018 most parents are adult enough, certainly have demonstrated they know enough about the topic to become parents, And so their ability to then take charge of what they want their child taught, how they want their child to view sexuality from a biblical viewpoint, from the viewpoint of what their church teaches, uh, from the mores that are established within the family and home, that parents ought to be able to do that and do so without the intrusiveness 
of the government. And I, and I think you, you've alluded to something that I find particularly disturbing, and that is the notion that oftentimes the graphic nature of what takes place here, as if our kids don't run into it on the Internet often enough, the graphic nature of what is taught here is not only quite alarming, but more often than not, parents really don't have any clue as to the content or the presentation or, or who or the agenda behind the who that is presenting this information in the classroom, do they? No, a lot of them have no idea, and they aren't paying attention uh, to what is being taught, and that's why it's very concerning. And something else about AB 329 is that this is going to happen in schools. This was actually a bill that has passed in 2015 and is now being implemented in schools across the state. And so it's not about if, it's now when and how much, and parents should um, be concerned. They should feel the freedom to go to their school and to check the curriculum out and to see who their guest speakers are and to see um, what the videos are. And more often than not, the trainers or the guest speakers are people from Planned Parenthood. And, and I'll mention to uh, local listeners here, one of the communities that's been sort of an early adopter of this approach has been the city of Fremont. And in fact, there's been a lot of brouhaha at school board meetings of late in relationship to the implementation of program content of this sort. And even as you read the language of this particular measure. You see that it refers to gathering a group of reviewers recruited in order to um, create a subset of, quote, comprehensive sexual health education curricula, and then going to, that's the inside group, and then there's the outside group of curriculum publishers and authors that will also help the review the content for the alignment of their materials. And so, let's translate that into English. It's going to be sexual health educators that are generally very liberally minded in terms of the creation of the initial content, then that will be further underscored by the support of those that have an agenda here, either from NARAL or Planned Parenthood or whatever the group might be, either officially affiliated or someone who is on the committee, not representing the organization officially, but nevertheless is bringing their thoughts and their ideas into the process. And at the end of the day, guess which group doesn't get any say-so in this? You got it, the taxpayers and the parents of the children. And that's where I think parents, to a great degree, should be very concerned about this. And I, and I, I suppose one of the other thoughts that comes to mind, Marlo, is for the parents listening to our conversation right now that say, well, I've taken the route to place my child in a charter school. That'll be safe. What are your thoughts on that? Is this potentially, if, if this bill, AB 329, passes, does it also impact the curricula related to sex education and reproductive health in the charter schools as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now, charter schools have autonomy, but uh, there is a current bill, uh, Assembly Bill 2601, are in the works, and um, it would force charter schools to follow the AB 329 requirement. Of course. Why not? 
<laughs> you know, what I find yeah. remarkable, Marlo, and we've talked about this in the past, there's so much that the California state legislature doesn't get done. They don't deal with uh, electric shortages in our state. They're not addressing the water crisis in our state. They don't do much in terms of improving freeways and filling potholes. But boy, they can sure poke their nose into our bedrooms and our homes. And, and I always find it remarkable when they, they make the comment as you talk about uh, pro-life issues, for example, and they will say, well, you know, those conservatives, they're always trying to put their nose in people's private bedrooms. Well, it seems to me that the one group who has the biggest fixation with this issue is the California state legislature. Why are these people so hung up on human sexuality? Oh, that's a good question. Um I've stumped you. <laughs> I didn't mean to stump you. I I realize that's partially a rhetorical question, but I think it demonstrates the level of, of frustration that all of us ought to feel as parents, as taxpayers, as concerned citizens, as people that want the best for our kids, and look at this and say, why does the California state legislature consistently meddle in these matters that ought to be allowed to be decided upon by the parents? Yeah, there's so much behind that question. It's a loaded question. Loaded question. And yes, our frustrations are there. And there's a lot of money behind that agenda. And um, especially with this, the uh, ACLU is also involved. And um, and they're just going to continue um, uh, bombarding us with this kind of information, which is why it's super important for parents to know that their rights and their freedom to opt out if they have questions about this, if it's disturbing in any manner when they review it, and parents definitely need to let other parents know because a lot of people are under in the dark. And also, they can get involved with their own school board, and they can make sure that the school's curriculum will represent them in a way that is more comfortable as opposed to just saying yes to these um very liberal sexual education curriculum. And I should also mention, Marlo, that we're bringing this up even as the legislature is in recess, because that will end very quickly. And as a lot of us are focused on vacation time and getting that wrapped up before the kids have to be back in school, it's a busy time of the year. Even though it's vacation time, it's busy. We have leisure distractions going on right now. And you've got to know strategically that members of the legislature are fully aware of this and therefore the reason why they target these kind of bills during this season because they're counting on us not paying any attention. Well, we foiled their little plot, haven't we? So I want to encourage you um, to contact your member of the California State Legislature. The easiest thing is simply to go online. You can Google um, who's my member of the State Assembly, who's my member of the California State Senate, and uh, Google will guide you there. And then to call, email, if you're an old-fashioned person and like to do it the old way, uh, you can certainly sit down and write a letter. All of them are effective. And let your member of the California State Legislature know what you feel. In addition, you want to make sure that you also include a letter to the governor. Because in the likelihood, in the possibility that this measure should pass, then queuing up to let the governor know what you think as the hope that it would be stopped through a, a veto by the governor 
uh, is the next hope. And, of course, from there, if it does get passed, I'm sure there's going to be the, the typical lawsuits. Uh, and it's sad that you have to, you know, kind of get them back in line with uh, methods like that. But, you know, such is the day and age in which we live. The California Healthy Youth Act. It has a nice, positive, upbeat sound to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to thank Marlo Tucker, the director of the California Chapter of Concerned Women for America, for that update. More information on the great work that they do is CF, I'm sorry, CWFA. CWFA, think of California Women for America.org. Our thanks to Marlo Tucker for being with us. Okay, let's uh, get you updated on some traffic. When we come back, we're going to talk about another bill that we've been discussing seemingly ad nauseum over the last um, couple of months here, really. And that is the status on AB 2943. Does it really intend to creep into the pulpits of California? We'll find out next. But first, let's find out what's going on traffic-wise. Michael Bennett's got that update for you from the KFAX Traffic Center. Hey, Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We continue on the Wednesday edition. AB 2943. We talked a lot about it. This bill, as you're aware, did not come up for a vote on the Senate floor prior to the legislature beginning its month-long vacation recess. But you can bet it certainly will show up again once they get back to business, quote-unquote, come mid-August, early August, actually. Uh, This particular bill at the core appears to wish to eliminate your freedom to choose your own counselor, Many are arguing that not only does this trample free speech and religious freedom, but seems to suggest that the state wants to go into the therapy business. I think that many in the legislature need therapy, but that's a whole different uh, discussion. Now, AB 2943 states, and I quote, advertising offering to engage in or engaging in reparative therapy efforts with an individual is illegal under the state's consumer fraud law. Under the language of this bill, this bill, by the way, goes on for 10 full pages. And I'll read some of the more fascinating parts to you in a moment. First, though, let's have Ken Williams come into our conversation here. Ken was in Sacramento and testified at the Capitol pertaining to Assembly Bill 2943 before the committee. And I'm I'm curious, Ken, from your perspective, you were up there, you had a chance to uh, talk with some of the legislators. Do these guys really intentionally want to go into the therapy business? Uh, Well, thanks for having me today, Craig. Um, You know, I don't don't know why anyone would want to take away another person's rights to pursue what is going to bring them true happiness. I, I... uh, is it maybe fear that um, that they're not going to be able to get their way or what? But I mean, we're talking about adults with this bi- with this bill. We're talking about people being able to choose what type of lifestyle they want. Well, and the and, irony here is, and I alluded to this with a previous guest on Oddly Enough, another uh, bill that, that has some pretty egregious reach to it as well. It seems as if this particular legislature has been hung up on so many issues pertaining to sexuality, whether it's reproductive health and abortion, or whether it's what's taught in the public classroom, or in this case, in relationship to to therapy. And, and I, I realize at the core, 
that there in some camps is a lot of controversy over the effect of this. But at the end of the day, as you've alluded to, why not leave this up to the adult, leave it up to the individual to decide? And, and one of the more chilling effects to this, and maybe you can, you can speak to this specifically, one of the more chilling aspects that could raise its ugly head in this, and I know they've repeatedly denied this, but, you know, it wouldn't be the first time they said one thing but meant another, and that is the notion that this could literally have a chilling effect on not only freedom of speech, but freedom of religion here in our state. Speak to that. It's really true. Um, Basically, the only way that anyone could propose a bill like AB 2943 is basically to believe that change is not possible for people. And to me, center to the, central to the gospel, or at many faiths even, beyond Christianity, is the notion that through um, partnering with a relationship with God, that change is possible in people's lives. That people are, are, are able to leave all kinds of different um, aspects of life or you know, behavior that was not something they wanted and, and change and, and, and kind of be a new creation. Of course. That's, and that, that's, that's central to the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it, it, this, I mean, you know, there, there's been uh, many efforts by some of these lawmakers behind this to suggest that, no, this is not an infringement upon any kind of religious. Well, I mean, I, I, this is my personal story of, of coming out of homosexuality and, and not experiencing those desires, those, that, that life at all. I've been married to my wife now for 12 years. I have four children. I, I have moved. I've changed. I've moved on. And the notion that I would not have been able to pursue what I wanted because, quote, change is not possible, as one of the assemblymen said after I testified in uh, the judiciary hearing. Well, that's, that's, a, um, that's a, you know, an outlandish ridiculous. comment on their end because, you know, you, they, they, nobody knows your story but you. Right. What 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 I find interesting about this as well is there is an attempt to sort of do a workaround here. Uh, that at certain aspects, this would seem to do deal with um, professional counseling services, and then it seems to to jump into um, an attempt to control uh, therapy or, or counseling in our state. And then suddenly it, it jumps into what reads like a manual that could have been written by the uh, Chamber of Commerce. For example, uh, and I'm going to quote here, that it writes, Code on business practices that, as they say, um, are not designed to impact religious freedom, but at the end of the day, albeit perhaps unintentionally, could very well creep into nonprofit religious organizations and their freedom of speech and freedom of religion rights. I mean, for example, uh, if they say, well, there could be penalties if there is, say, a licensed MFCC, a marriage and family counselor, on staff. So if a church chooses to hire a licensed marriage and family counselor to minister to uh, their congregation, and this issue comes up, technically, wouldn't that person's license be at risk here under the language inside of this particular measure, AB 2943? It seems really clear to me that it would. Uh, I mean, this is very broad language in this bill. So another example, Craig, could be, let's say that there's a, a, um, a Christian summer camp for, for kids. Or, okay. or even, let's say that it's even just uh, for, for men. Let's say it's a men's retreat at a Christian camp. And so uh, one of the men says, hey, you know what, uh, comes down and responds to some kind of altar call and says, hey, you know, I've been really struggling with... Um, 
with hom- homosexuality. I've been, you know, I'm, I'm married to my wife, but I've been acting out homosexually. All of a sudden, that tuition that they paid to attend that men's retreat, now, if someone responds at all with um, the suggestion that, you know, maybe they could get help with that and could, could leave that homosexual um, attraction or desires or behavior in that case, um, they could be they could be sued. Well, and I think at the end of the day, we 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 need to allow, quite frankly, government to worry about government matters. Let the church worry about church matters, and if an adult makes a decision, let them make their decision. Uh, specifically, I think what Ken is referring to is. Uh, so if you you go to a summer camp as he suggests, or a men's retreat, or w- whatever it might be, here's where they get you. Can you believe this language now? Dealing with therapy, but here's what it jumps into. And this is I'm reading directly from the language of AB 2943. Um, it would render unlawful quote passing off of goods or services of those as those of another misrepresenting the source, sponsorship, approval, or certification of goods or services, misrepresenting the affiliation, connection, association with, or certification by another, using deceptive representations or designations of geographic origin in connection with goods or services. Does it sound ridiculous enough? Wait, let me continue. Representing that goods are original or new if they've deteriorated unreasonably or are altered. And I read that and I thought, what are they, what are they getting into here? And part of this, I think, is designed intentionally to try and confuse people. And they do a lot of whitewashing. There's been a little bit of modification of the language since this first was presented in March. February, actually, was was presented uh, to the committee in February of this year. So I think in March they made some of the modifications. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I think it's easy to conclude that this is a Trojan horse. And again... I have to wonder why the state is trying to get itself into the therapy business. AB 2943, and as we've suggested in the case of the previous bill that we talked about, AB 329, reaching out to California State Legislature, reaching out to the governor's office, and let your representative and the governor know how you feel about this critically important. Again, summer months. I know a lot of us are thinking about vacations. Maybe you're on vacation right now. You're listening to this, uh, you know, through the uh, podcast or what have you, and you're just catching up on stuff. Um, The meter is running. Time is moving. And we need to be responsive uh, before this slippery slope down which we appear to be headed gets any further away from us. I want to thank Ken Williams for being with us. And again, We're talking about specifically AB 2943. Reach out today to your member of the California State Legislature and the governor's office. 533, we're a bit late. Let's get you caught up on traffic here. Head over to the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett's got the latest. Hey, Michael, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation here. It is the Wednesday edition of Lifeline, and today... Secretary of State Mike Pompeo indicating in testimony before Congress that he personally warned Russian President Vladimir Putin about any further interference into U.S. elections. I personally made clear to the Russians there will be severe consequences for interference in our democratic processes. 
Pompeo made that comment today in a Senate hearing and refuted the notion that the Trump administration has been weak on Russia. In a tweet earlier this week, President Trump suggesting that Russia may try to help Democrats in November's midterm elections. Trump saying that that may happen because he's been, quote, so tough on the Kremlin. Meanwhile, this fresh off the presses. House Republicans are introducing articles of impeachment against Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Congressman Mark Meadows of North Carolina and Jim Jordan of Ohio leading the charge against Rosenstein. They blame him for not responding to demands for documents about the Russia investigation and the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. He is also accused of having a conflict of interest in the Russian investigation that, quote-unquote, should have required his recusal from overseeing it, close quote. Joining me now with comment is Joyce Cordy. Joyce, of course, is the host of Reimagine America, president also of the same organization. Her program can be heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The answer, Joyce, thanks for being with us. First, your response to the introduction of articles of impeachment against Assistant Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. What do you think? It's the most. It's just another bizarre twist in an increasingly bizarre situation. It is, you know, there are, if it, there is a saying that that if you if the law's on your side, you argue the law. If the facts are on your side, you argue the facts. If both of those are against you, then you try to muddy the waters and confuse the jury. And I think we are at step three. This does certainly seem, I mean, they talk about the rate at which rabbits multiply. This certainly does seem as if the the number of rabbit trails are multiplying as this gets further along, deeper along. And, you know, all of a sudden now the, the, the lines here are being blurred so much. So when last we left off, there had been an indictment against 12 Russian operatives in Russia, for meddling in the 2016 elections. Of course, we know that the notion of them ever being extradited to the United States to face trial is never going to happen. The president indicating at the time that he thought it was an incredible offer (laughs) from Vladimir Putin to allow American investigators to go over there and to be able to interview uh, these 12 indicted individuals. Uh, That that seemed to be an interesting thought, but squarely rooted in fantasy island time. And so with, with that seemingly kind of stalled at the moment, and now we're getting more of the, the Michael Cohn stuff coming back into the forefront again, it just seems that every side has, is playing every angle here. And at the end of the day, I think it's becoming more and more difficult, as you've suggested, to even figure out who really is telling the truth. Well, you know, there's only one way to figure it out. Number one, that indictment is a wonderful statement about the expertise and the patience of individual FBI agents. I mean, they did a phenomenal job. They've got keystroke information. It, it wasn't easy to piece that together. You know, the technology was not particularly sophisticated that the Russians used, but to get you know, to follow the keystrokes all the way back around the world through all the intercepts, et cetera, that were used, um, and to follow that cryptocurrency that was being manufactured in cyberspace um, is a real testimony to the expertise of individual 
agents at the FBI, and I think we we owe them uh, a debt of gratitude. Why are now, we seeing, in your opinion, more anger? over the Russian meddling. And and I want to preface that question by saying I recognize at the end of the day that what they attempted to do and probably the ultimate outcome wasn't very effective. Uh, It has been on multiple occasions stated that, you know, they invested, what, $70 million all told. And at the end of the day, you know, that up against a $2 billion presidential campaign uh, wasn't even going to put a scratch in the paint job. But that said, the very notion that a a foreign agent or agents of a foreign country uh, would attempt to meddle in our elections is disturbing. And I I know certainly there's been times in which America has been accused of doing the same thing. But I'm surprised overall that there isn't greater outrage over the overall notion that they attempted to meddle, without regard to who they favored or or didn't favor, that they even attempted to do so. I I really am taken aback by the the lack of, of, I mean, people almost seem to see this as just as no big a deal as talking about the weather. I I agree with you, and and I think it is um, fundamentally, uh, it's problematic. Uh, What does it say about our democracy? You know, the majority of people would like the Mueller investigation to be completed without interference. That we see from the polling. That's because people really don't know what happened. And, you know, the election was really settled by 70,000 votes in three states. And there are concerns. Um, What I am most concerned about is what we don't know, which is the 500,000 individual voter records that were looked at or copied or, you know, in other, in, in otherwise disturbed in a multitude of states. And while I don't think any votes were changed, I do think we have to consider, if we look at the two indictments, that minds were changed. You know, a lot of people, and, and I'm sad because we're both on the radio, uh, to, so I'm sad to say that a lot of people get all their information from Facebook. And I just spent 10 minutes on Twitter. You know, if you if that's your primary source of news, you could get really um, skewed information very quickly. But my my overall sense from wandering around listening when you're out in the grocery store or, you know, at the... Uh, Wednesday night jazz concert or whatever um, is that um, people are skeptical. Well, and I think there's been this slow march towards you know more sizzle and less uh, more sizzle and less steak, less substantive information that is informing voters upon which their their ability to exercise their constitutional right to vote uh, is carried out. Um, certainly the notion that, you know, if we think if we think that social media helped to influence the election in 2016, give it two more years, give it 10 more years and see how much of that is driven by social media and hype and opinion. I mean, I, I find it amazing to think if we turn back the clock, my goodness, almost 60 years, not quite, but almost during the Kennedy Nixon campaign in 1960, and, you know, everybody uh, that's familiar with the, the television form of the debate 
and said that Nixon looked kind of haggard and uh, five o'clock shadow and kind of the older guy up against Kennedy who looked firm and fit and virile and so forth. And it was interesting to see the response of pollsters at that time, again, almost 60 years ago, that those who watched the Nixon-Kennedy debate on television felt that hands down John Kennedy won, and yet those who listened to the debate on radio without the colorization, so to speak, of the visuals, concluded that Richard Nixon won the debates. So if there was an attempt or or, or, or a, a sneaking in of shallowness into the American psyche when it comes to voting 60 years ago, imagine how much that has deteriorated to this very day. And so, uh, you know, again, the potentiality of not just the Russians influencing our election outcome, but the stupidity of Americans that are not really thinking through this process is something that's got me even more worried. Well, what gets me even more worried is the statistics, okay? 23% of Americans voted for Donald Trump. 23% of American voters. And that number is true because 50% of voters didn't bother to vote. So I'm just finishing a great book called Tailspin by Richard by uh, Stephen Brill, um, talking about the 50-year decline of the American middle class. <laughs> and I'm three pages from the end, um, and and he makes exactly those points. One can say that John Kennedy was the first charisma president. Since that time, we've seen more and more. We've seen a, dim, a, a, a shrinking of the middle class and more and more of a sense of futility, of the inability to um, prosper among that middle class um, and less and less confidence in the people um, who they elect to actually positively impact their lives. And thus you see the most extreme, the people who get their their information on Facebook and Twitter, etc., are the people who rush to the polls. And that's what this Rod Rosenstein impeachment uh, bill, which I suspect Paul Ryan will never bring to the floor, uh, is all about. It's not about you and me. It's not about the people listening to us tonight who represent uh, an intelligent and want to be informed middle class. It's about the extreme. Well, and the level of distraction that's engaged here that, you know, at the end of the day, this ought to be presented the way a um, evidence, for example, is presented to a jury that one side gets up and the prosecution presents its case. When it's finished, it sits down. Now the defense stands, and the defense presents its case, and then it sits down. Then each of the two lawyers from both sides, prosecution and defense attorney, get to offer their closing arguments, a summation of all the evidence that presented before or for and against, and then it's handed over to the jury. The problem here is we haven't had a chance to have all of that play out because there's been one level of complaint and meddling and and, and all of these twists and turns. And one moment, I don't know if we're talking about email servers or Russian spies or Russian email servers. Who knows? 
the the inability for us to be able to, I think, draw conclusions right now is enormously challenging. And about the only way that we're seeing any conclusions drawn seems to be purely along partisan lines. If you've just joined us, Joyce Cordy is with us. Joyce is the host of Reimagine America. Her informative program can be heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. More information, by the way, about her great work, her musings, podcasts, and her blog by going to reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. 5.49 on the clock. Let's get caught up right quick on traffic. We'll swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center and say good afternoon once again to Michael Bennett. Michael, give us an update. What's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to our conversation with talk show host Joyce Cordy from Reimagine America talking about some of the events of the day. And, of course, uh, we've had a lot of testimony on uh, Capitol Hill today. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo today talking about everything from uh, the Russia meddling in the elections to even another topic that uh, certainly impacts all of us, and that is North Korea. Today, the Secretary of State insisting that North Korea, in fact, has agreed to full denuclearization. President Trump's diplomacy de-escalated a situation in which the prospect for conflict was rising daily. Americans are safer because of his actions. Our objective remains the final, fully verified denuclearization North Korea has agreed to by Chairman Kim Jong-un. On July 5th, I traveled to North Korea to make progress on the commitments that were made in Singapore. We're engaged in patient diplomacy, but we will not let this drag out to no end. Well, we certainly have shown uh, patience with North Korea dating back uh, since the 1950s. And I think one of my concerns here, Joyce, is that there there seems to be the notion, and I'm, I'm not Mike, Mike Pompeo, I've not sat before Kim Jong-un. None of us can entirely get into uh, the head of Kim, I think. But at the end of the day, history has demonstrated that this is not a country to be trusted and that Every time they've even come close to the bargaining table, it's always because they wanted something. And almost to an individual that have observed this ongoing debate over North Korea as a nuclear power have said that this is the one thing, the one, you know, uh, quill for the pen, the, 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 the one arrow that he has to to protect himself, and that is the fact that he's a nuclear power. Why would he ever want to voluntarily give that up unless there was an awful big carrot and stick involved here? I don't think there's a big enough carrot um, it, available because it is that army that keeps him in power and alive. I mean, we are not talking, you know, he looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy, but don't be confused. This is a, you know, this guy makes makes Putin look like a nice guy. Well, any guy that, that executes his own family members simply because he wants to shore up his grip on power is demonstrative of the notion that he can't be trusted. Absolutely. And, and you know, doing it in his, his family by, uh, by executing somebody with an artillery gun, uh, shell, you know, so there's nothing left is a level of brutality that even Putin and his nerve gas and his and his nerve agents don't go to. So um, I, I think I give I give Mike Pompeo um, extremely high marks 
for um, calmly and deliberately doing a really, really difficult job um, navigating through treacherous waters with the North Koreans, with the Russians, with President Trump, with Congress, um, and, and, you know, standing, standing tall in the midst of all of this. Um, you know, the nation is fortunate. This is a West Point graduate. This is a guy who understands what's at stake. Um, and he's going to work as well as he can with the North Koreans. But I don't think Mike Pompeo in the middle of the night has any um, illusions about um, whether or not um, Kim is really sincere about denuclearizing uh, and and handing over all of his physical material and his and his um, Missiles. I mean, you just and, have to wonder what 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 would he want? I mean, certainly trade has got to be a major aspect of this. But given what little that they produce, that the West would have any interest in, uh, I mean, you you can't compare them to South Korea. You certainly can't compare them as an industrial power to uh, their neighbor China by a long shot. And yes, it certainly takes time. But I think also for some of those reforms to be able to really take place. You have to not only open up the nation's economy, but you also need to open up the nation's communication. You need to be able to put it on more of a par with other countries in terms of freedoms. And let's face it, the entirety of this dictatorship is built upon control. Lack of freedom of movement, lack of freedom of speech, lack of freedom of the press, um, lack of the freedom of assembly and choice. I mean, the list goes on and on. So in order to move North Korea into a position where it could compete would also mean Kim surrendering every single tool that he has at his disposable to keep, disposal to keep himself in power. So at the end of the day, right. it, it becomes almost an insurmountable effort. It is an insurmountable effort. I, I truly fear that it is um, that we have in, uh, in North Korea um, the very same situation that we have in, um, in Iran. And that is, it is only their own armies that is going to that that's going to take them out. And and North Korea, you know, the the little bit they can see of the outside world, uh, the prosperity of South Korea is a siren song. And so, part of a good strategy. Remember that what we're looking for are outcomes, and outcomes. You know, you, you create a strategy to get to an outcome. Um, and then you have to work at it consistently. And and the only, you know, the thing that Trump said he told Kim was, oh, you, would, you know, we'll invest, we'll bring you investment, we'll do this, we'll do that, which is what he told the Russians apparently as well about business-to-business contacts, which run against the sanctions we have in place in both situations. So I don't see, um, I don't see an early end to this. Stalemate. I don't see an early end to our issues with Iran either. Um, but I think we should be grateful that we have people who are as patient and as steady as Mattis and Pompeo working with 
um, some of the leadership of Congress to kind of patiently plod along and try to keep either of these situations from getting out of control. Pompeo certainly has demonstrated himself to be uh, an excellent choice uh, coming in on the heels of uh, Rex Tillerson. And you're right. I mean, it's it's an awfully tall order, and it sort of reminds me of the guy on the Ed Sullivan show. I'm dating myself here now. Uh, go back to uh, when they would spin the plates and they have to run from one end to another with the plates and the bamboo sticks, and there might be 20 of them across the stage, and the idea is not to let any of them break and fall. Rex Tillerson, I'm sorry, Mike Pompeo has sort of the same task here from a diplomacy standpoint, that he has plates that have to be spun in Russia, plates that have to be spun in in North Korea, and now plates that apparently have to be spun uh, that well, it's never quite frankly went away, and that is in relationship to Tehran, and you got to keep them all in the air at the same time because any of these three could potentially be a major headache for not just the United States but the rest of the globe. More insights on these topics. It's a chance to engage in some thoughtful dialogue to start your Sunday morning. So if you're tired of some of the nonsense you see on the talking head shows on TV, why not make the smart choice and tune in to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. Details on her great work available on the web at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Our thanks to Joyce Cordy for being with us. Six o'clock from KFAX San Francisco. We're going to get you an update on some headline news here in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the road ahead. Get you home safe and sound. To do so, we're over at the KFAX Traffic Center once again with Michael Bennett. Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.